0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Talking Sports with Evan. I am Evan Withalison, your your host, and uh, lots to talk about today. Um, Bucks NBA Finals Game Four, Bucks won, even the series at two. Talk about the NBA Finals so far, and my thoughts on Game Four, and my thoughts on the Finals moving forward. Baseball just played the All Star break. Uh, just had the All Star game Tuesday night. The couple of nights ago, home run derby Monday. Brewers start back up at time of recording tomorrow against the Cincinnati Reds. We're the four games up after losing three of four against the Reds going into the all-star break. And now they get three coming out of the break with the Reds. So they can easily make up those three games they lost against the Reds right before the break. Um, push that back up to seven. So going to talk about that. Going to also talk about some potential rule changes that Rob Manfred was talking about um, around All Star break. Things like the, um, uh, things like the getting rid of the seven inning double headers, um, and the guy on second base to start extra innings. I'm going to talk about that a little bit as well. And can the Brewers sustain, um, and you know, fin- end up winning this division? What do they need to do? You know, you're welcome to comment. For those watching live, uh, you welcome to comment. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, Bucks, Brewers, Packers related? Feel free to to comment, and we'll go from there. And before we go any further, again, I want to thank all those that watch the live stream of this show and listen to the podcast that sh- uh, will be posted immediately following the completion of today's show. So. As I mentioned, I want to start with the NBA Finals first, and it was about a week ago. It was about a week ago uh, last Tuesday, I recorded uh, my NBA Finals preview of the show talking about why I thought the Bucks were going to win in six. Then the game one happened. Bucks fall 118 to 105. Then game two happened. Bucks fall 118 to 108. And now we've had Game 3 and Game 4 where the Bucs have won 120-100 and 109-103. So a week ago, last week, Tuesday, when I mentioned I feel the Bucs were going to win in 6, I really looked like an idiot after Game 1. Looked like an even bigger moron after Game 2. But now, if the Bucs can pull off the win in Game 5 back in Phoenix on Saturday, the prophecy could be had And the Bucs can win the NBA Finals in six. And the thing is, they do got to win on Saturday's game, which I'll get to my keys to that game in a bit. Um, But for right now, kind of want to talk about how we get my thoughts on how we got to 2-2 in the series. Game one. Devin Booker, Chris Paul. They couldn't miss a shot. They got to their spots. They nailed their jumpers. They were able to attack the hoop, and the Bucs had no answer. They tried Brooke Lopez dropping. They tried Brooke Lopez meeting the pick and roll, but they couldn't stop him. And Chris Paul, and like I said, Chris Paul and Devin Booker couldn't miss. Bucks struggled to adjust. The Bucks couldn't shoot. Middleton did finish with 29. Giannis, who shockingly played in game one, finished with 20 um but that was about it from the bucks offensively as they fell 118 to 105 and 118 105 the game wasn't as was was much much further apart than that. That was much closer than what the game actually looked like. <clears throat> game two rolls around. And the Bucs came out hot, came out much better um the first quarter they controlled the tempo um, they won the quarter 29-26. They controlled the tempo, but the Suns kept it close because they, they kept hitting three. The Bucs overcommitted to the middle, stopping Paul and Booker from getting to their spots, leaving the corners open. And the the guys on the corners nailed their threes. Um, Giannis, outstanding performance in that game, finishing with 42 points and 12 rebounds. Um, but he didn't have much help outside of that. Drew Holiday finished with 17. Chris Middleton finished with 11. Pat C finished with 14. And then with the Suns, um, Mikael Bridges finished with 27. Booker 31. Chris Paul 23. So, like we saw in, like we saw in um, game uh, game was it game five. Yeah, game 5 of the Eastern Conference semifinals with the Nets and the Bucks where Jeff Green went off for 27 points, or 28 points, If it wasn't for that 27 28 points from Jeff Green, the Bucks win if Mikhail Bridges doesn't go off for 27 points in 38 minutes in game 2, the Bucks win. You know, one you know game 1, the Bucks, you know, lost 118-105. The game wasn't as close as the score set Game two, the Bucks lost by 10. I feel it was a little closer game than that. It was it was played closer. The 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 issue in that game was quarter number two. The Bucks lost quarter number two, 30 to 16. Other than that, the Bucks won the first quarter, they won the third quarter, and they, they tied them in the third quarter. And I said to people after that game, if Chris if sorry, if Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday Played to their season average, they didn't have you know they don't have to have one of these huge games which we saw from Middleton last night. If they just played to their average, they would win. They would win game two, and unfortunately they didn't. And we, um, sorry my screen doesn't want to work, but we saw the Bucks lose. Game three rolls around back in Milwaukee. First NBA Finals game in Milwaukee since '74, and this is a game after the first quarter where the Bucks were down 28-25. In the second and third quarter, Bucks put the gas to the pet, uh, gas to the metal, and they just completely annihilated the Suns. Um, Giannis another 40-point game. Drew Holiday scored 21, nailed five threes in this game. Middleton 18. Lopez added 11. And we had a game where Middleton and Holiday finished around their season average in points, and the Bucs won. And the Suns, Bucks defensively, played much better against the Suns. Crowder had 18 due to having some three-pointers point, three later in the game. Ayton had 18 early in the game for the most part. After the you got in foul trouble, he was non-existent, and that's where the Bucs took, really took control. Chris Paul had a 19 and Cameron Johnson 14 and Devin Booker at scored just 10 points in 29 minutes. And it's still head scratching why Devin Booker only played 29 minutes in that game, but he did. And he just seemed off that entire game. So maybe they just pulled him because they felt that it just wasn't his game. I don't know, but Bucks took control in game uh, three early on and didn't really look back. And every time the Suns tried to, you know, third quarter, the Suns uh, clip the Bucks' lead a little bit, and the Bucks are able to overcome it and build the lead back up. In the fourth quarter, the Suns nipped at that lead a little bit, and the Bucks were able to um, pull away at the end. So game three was a total different story than game one. The Bucks, if they were, if if the Bucks would have done a few things different in Game Two. We were we were looking at a a two one Bucks lead instead of uh, a two one Suns lead, but nonetheless, that's what we had. And that brings you to last night. The Bucks win, beat the Suns, one hundred nine to one hundred three. And I've seen some of the local channels here in uh, in Milwaukee area ask the question: What word would you describe to explain the Bucks game yesterday? And I chose the word gritty. It was a gritty win. They had to fight, scratch, and claw the way to victory. You know, the Suns up 23-20 after one, tied at halftime. The Suns looked like they took control in the third quarter. And early on in the fourth quarter, they're sitting at a nine-point lead. And the Bucks just kept chirp, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And they played like a mentally and physically tough team. In the past, we've seen the Bucks when that happens, they're down by nine, all of a sudden they tend to fold. It tends to get away from them. And next thing you know, they're down double digits and we're looking at um, throwing the towel and get ready for the next game. And there was a couple points in that game that it looked like that's exactly where the game was going last night. But the Bucks stayed tough. They never gave up. They kept fighting. And finally, um, even with Devin Booker scoring 42 um the Bucs were able to overcome that Chris Middleton 40 points the only the third set of teammates fourth time where you've had two teammates score 40 points in consecutive games i believe magic and kareem lebron and kyrie are the other sets of teammates giannis became the first player since shaq to, to go 40-10 back to back game and Middleton and Booker became uh, became the first set of opponents to get forty since uh, Shaq and Allen Iverson back in to- two thousand one. But this game showed the Bucks grittiness, the Bucks toughness. They didn't fold. They kept fighting, and eventually, with the help of Middleton taking over, Giannis the, even. The, offensively, Giannis looked a little off. Yes, he still had 26 points, but overall, he 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 didn't look like he had the same intensity, energy that he had in games two and three. Something to keep an eye on going into game five. Was there something wrong with Giannis yesterday? Um, that he didn't seem to give the same effort that he typically does game to game. But in the fourth quarter, crunch time, when it mattered, Giannis made... Many critical plays on defense. The biggest, a block. The Bucks take a two. Just got a two-point lead. The Suns run their patented pick and roll with Booker and Aiton. Ayton. and it looks like Ayton has an easy jam that's going to tie the game back up. Could have took some of the wind out of the sails of the Bucks if the dunk goes in, but somehow. And I've seen people talking about how this was an overrated block. It's being overblown, um, things like that. But the block itself, the block itself may not have been that impressive. But the moment in the game, we go from the Suns tying the game to the Bucks taking a four and then five-point lead on the other end after Middleton scores a layup and his foul. If the Suns tie the game on that dunk, if the Suns tie the game at that moment, who knows what happens? Do the Suns make a stop on the other end and then take the lead back? And are they up 3-1 right now? That block was a major swing in that game. It went from a tie game to a five-point Bucks lead to eventually a 109-103 Bucs win. That's what that block did. And you can argue about if it was impressive block or not. I'm impressed with it. You know, Giannis went from guarding Booker to pivoting on his knee that he just uh, hyperextended two weeks ago. It looked like he tore every single ligament possible in that knee with the way it bent. He went from that to two weeks later pivoting and using that leg to get up in the air with his long arm, and blocked the shot at the rim. To me, that's impressive. Maybe it's not the Kobe block, uh, not Kobe, sorry, LeBron James block um, against the Warriors. Maybe it's not quite that because that was game seven. LeBron chased him down, knocked it off the backboard. Maybe it's not quite that. I get that it wasn't game seven, but that was, to me, the pivotal point in the game. Because, again, if that shot goes in, Aiton makes that dunk, the Suns now have momentum, and that game could have completely swung the other way, and now we're talking, can the Bucks come back from three games to one deficit? Instead, it's two to two. The Bucks now have the Suns on their heels. It looked like the Suns were going to dominate the game and eventually turned into the Bucks pulled away at the end. Um, I I predicted and I thought coming into the game, it was going to be much closer than game, uh, game three because the Suns were going to make their adjustments. And I also wasn't expecting Devin Booker to play as awful as he did in game three. I wasn't expecting 40 points from Booker, but I wasn't expecting Booker to play as bad as he did in game three. So I figured that would bridge the score a little bit. Um, I also wasn't expecting Bridges to have another game that he did, and he didn't. He had seven points. Crowder, 15. Now some threes. Other than that, you had Chris Paul at 10, Cam Johnson at 10, and you know that's the scoring uh, leaders for the Suns. Um, Aiton with six points and 17 rebounds. But the Bucs got it done. And that's what matters. And I know I. It was a sloppy game. The Suns, if it, if it wasn't for the fact the Suns were extremely sloppy with the bait, with the basketball, um, the Suns committed seventeen turnovers and gave up forty eight points in the paint to the Bucks. The Suns had numerous t- opportunities to put this game away. But because of their sloppiness, they just couldn't. And the Bucs used their grittiness to come to victory. And now we're at Game 5. Two days away from Game 5. Game 5 will be Saturday at the date of recording. It is uh, Thursday, July 15th at the date of recording. And the Bucs can win Game 5. The Suns are going to probably come out higher energy, being that they're back at home. The pressure's on them. I don't see Chris Paul playing as badly as he did in Milwaukee. You know, tip your hat to Drew Holiday for his defense on him, but Chris Paul is not playing good. He he he's just not playing good basketball, and I I don't envision that happening in Phoenix. I think Chris Paul with the the uh, with the motivation from the home cooking, the home crowd. The fouls, you know, Bucks had 29 free throw attempts to so the Suns, 19. I think that could be flip flopped in game five. Um, you're going to get more home whistles, unfortunately. Um, but the Bucks can easily win this game. In game two, if Holiday and Middleton score their season average, they win the game. And Middleton. If he just does half of what he did in game four, he puts the Bucs in good position to win. If we see game two and game three Giannis, the Bucs are in good position to win. But Drew Holiday offensively needs to be better. Needs to be better than game one and game two. And I, I get Holiday using a lot of energy on the defensive end trying to keep Chris Paul from dominating the series. Um, That's basically been Holiday's job since game one, follow Chris Paul around. So I get that his jumper may be a little off. I get that. But he had seven, I think it was seven missed layups in game two. He had four or five missed layups in game four. He has to convert those. If he has easy layup under the basket, he has to finish that. Fortunately, a couple of those, the Bucs were able to grab the rebound um, and didn't hurt them as much in game five, game four, I mean. But in game five, Drew Holiday needs to have a game. If Middleton, Giannis, and Holiday all play to their potential offensively together for the first time in the entire playoffs, because, you know, Giannis has been consistent, but Holiday and Middleton have been kind of a roller coaster. Middleton's had some great moments in this playoffs. Game one against the Heat. Um, game seven and game, I want to say game six against the, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, games five and six against the Atlanta Hawks. Middleton has had some big moments. It's Drew Holiday's turn to have that big moment. He nailed five threes in game three in Milwaukee. We need that from Holiday. We, we need that lockdown defense and for Holiday to just play to his season average in points. Make the layups, attack the rim, do what you did in game three attack, attack, attack. And the Bucs would be fine. Is asking those three to play together good basketball at the same time? Is that too much to ask for? I don't think it is. But to me, that's what the Bucs need. The Suns are going to make adjustments. They made adjustments for game four. They made life a lot more difficult for Giannis in the middle. And uh, Pat C and Chris Middleton were able to take advantage of that. Pat C nailed some huge shots, grabbed some some huge offensive rebounds, uh, some putbacks around the hoop. Pat C, you know, Middleton's getting all the attention, rightfully so. The game Middleton played last night was incredible, especially in the fourth to close it out. But Pat C deserves some uh, pats on the back too. Um, he he played, you know, and Pat C is who he is: high energy player who's going to nail some shots, uh, attack the boards. But every offensive board he grabbed, the three pointers he grabbed, including putting the Bucks in the lead for good. In that game. You know, Pat C one of the Young Sung heroes from last night. But I think the Bucks take game five. I think we see the Bucks, the Bucks big three, play like the Bucks big three for the first time together in the playoffs. Because if those three all dominate a game together, you're not outscoring the Bucs. And I don't care who you are. The Bucks three. Are better than the Suns' big three. I I take Giannis Middleton and Holiday over Paul, Aiton and uh, Booker. To be honest, I take those three of those three versus those three. I take the Bucks three, and maybe it's me wearing my my Bucks uh, green goggles, um, and I can't look at things objectively as I've been told numerous times before. But I just think from a pure talent standpoint, and a pure togetherness, and a pure playoff ready, that's where I think the Bucs have them. Booker's never played in a postseason before. Aiton's never played in a postseason before. And, you know, Chris Paul's been in the postseason, but this is his first time ever being in the NBA Finals. And, yes, this is the first time that every Bucks player has been in the Finals as well. But the Bucks have been in the playoffs the last three years scratching, crawling, and fighting their way to get to this point. And I know they had some, some luck bounce their way, in the second and third rounds, but I think the Bucks grittiness, the Bucks toughness, and the Bucks composure is what compels them to a game five victory. And as I said last week, Tuesday, Bucks in six. If who if the Bucks win game five, they're winning it in six. If the Suns win on Saturday, it's going to come down to game seven because I don't see Phoenix going into Milwaukee and winning in that environment. So if the Bucks win Saturday, they're winning it in a six. That's, that's my thought. So what are your thoughts? You can tweet at me at Evan with sports. As you see in the bottom of the screen, you can uh, uh, email me talking sports with Evan at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook talking sports with Evan. What are your key what are your thoughts on the on the NBA finals thus far? And what are your thoughts moving ahead to it's now a best of 3 series. First team to win twice wins it all. What are your thoughts? Do the Bucks win it in 6? Do the Suns win it in 6? Do the Bucks win in 7? Do the Suns win in 7? What are your thoughts? Again, at Evan with sports talking sports with Evan at gmail.com let me know your thoughts i would love to hear them and you can if you know you can uh and if you're when you when you're watching the live stream you can always comment on facebook or, or Twitter and it would show up on my screen and I'll, we'll talk about it so moving on major league baseball is at the unofficial halfway point the Milwaukee Brewers currently sitting in first place in their division 53 and 39. Four games ahead of the Cincinnati Reds. Guess who the Brewers play coming out of the All-Star break? As I mentioned in the intro part of the show, the Brewers have, starting tomorrow, a three-game set against the Reds. If the Brewers can sweep that series, they push that lead back up to seven over the, over the Reds. If the Brewers can take two out of three, they push it to six. The, the key thing is you have to take the series out of the break you let the Reds close that gap coming into the all-star break, you have, to, you have to take this series. Take two out of three at worst, sweep the series at best, and you gain some ground or you gain some cushion, I mean, on the Reds. If you get swept or you lose two or three, the Reds are going to be breathing down your throat. And the thing is, the Reds offensively is probably the best team in that division. Their offense is stacked from one to eight. They got some really good offensive players on that team. Their pitching has been their Achilles heel. And their pitching in Milwaukee going into the All-Star break pitched extremely well. And they've pitched pretty well, winning eight of their last 10 games. If the Reds pitching gets if the Reds pitching get hot gets hot and stays hot, the Reds are going to be in the thick of things in the central. For the long haul. You also have the Cubs eight game back. But it sounds like they're in cell mode now. The Cardinals also eight games back. Um, but they're a team if they get healthy. Another team you kind of got to keep an eye on. Can the Brewers keep the division? Yes. And I, I think they will. I think the Brewers are going to hold off to take the division. I really do. I think they're a really talented team. Pitching wise. Woody, Burns, Peralta. The three all-stars in the starting rotation have just been outstanding this year. All three deserving guys in the All-Star game. We didn't get to see Woody pitch, unfortunately. Peralta took his spot um, due to Brandon pitching on Sunday going into the All-Star break. But those three, I take, I, I I match those three up with any rotation in Major League Baseball and they can hold their own. I, I honestly feel that way. And no, it's not because I got my Brewer goggles on. Those three are that good. And then Adrian Hauser has been a great 4-5 guy. Eats, eats innings, limits damage, and you know he can give the bullpen a break um, in those situations too. And then Eric Lauer has pitched outstanding over the course of his last few starts with the six-man rotation the Brewers are doing. And Anderson, kind of the weak link in the rotation right now, pitched great in Cincinnati, against Cincinnati going into the break. I want to say he pitched Friday night. I could be wrong, but I think he pitched Friday night. Um, he's pitched extremely well. Um, no, never mind. He pitched. He pitched in the double header. Um, sorry, the Brewers had a double header um, against the Mets right before the Red Series well he pitched uh four innings of very good baseball in a seven inning game. Anderson's not going to pitch that great every time out, but his big thing is is he just has to, you know, be efficient and not tax the bullpen. And the bullpen probably their weakness, um their biggest weakness in my opinion, uh Hader struggled a little bit going into the break, but Josh Hader is one of the top closers in baseball. Um Devin Williams has seemed to found it. Um, He struggled a little bit early on this year, but he's been just outstanding uh, as of late. Boxberger has been pretty reliable. Walked the bases loaded against the Mets and then strikes out the side. Um, He's been a guy that's been steady. Uh, Brett Suter, when you don't ask him to go into extra innings in in the the 10th inning with the runner on base, he's pitched pretty well. Um, Cousins has pitched well and Sanchez as well. But I think the bullpen is probably pitching wise, you know, they could get better. Um, They, they had to uh, weaken the bullpen a little bit to get guys like Willie Adamas, who has been outstanding since coming to Milwaukee. I think since he came to Milwaukee, the Brewers have the best record in baseball since Adamas got traded to Milwaukee. I want to say that was May 25th or May 26th. since then, the Brewers have the best record in baseball. Adamus has just been a guy who's been a lifesaver in that clubhouse. Um, after it looked like they were going to start fading, they've been nothing but dominate baseball, and they've uh, ran their way to 53 rims uh, in the first half of the year. Only uh, two teams have more than them in the National League, the Giants and the Dodgers. They're tied with the Padres, and the Mets at 47 wins right now. So. Offensively, the Brewers could use another bat. Their corner infielders, you know, Luis Urias has been pretty good with the bat lately, um, hitting for good power, getting on base. Um, but, you know, he's been up and down and a bit of a slump going into the break. First base, Keston Hira, atrocious to start the year. Um, sent down in the minors tw- two or three times now, I want to say, twice. And uh, this most recent time coming up, he's been much better. He did struggle with strikeouts going into the break, but, you know, he played well against the Pirates. He had that hot start coming back to the big leagues. He had a pretty solid series against the Reds, uh, getting three hits in that four-game series on nine at-bats. Not awful. He's working to count a little bit. Um, He still struggled with that outside corner pitch, uh, chasing it. That's how he struck out against the Reds, chasing that outside corner um fastball slider whatever that pit, those pitches were but i i like keston hera but i i think what we've seen in this small sample size since coming back from the minors is what we're going to get from him and rowdy telez he's not the answer either so i would be fine with the brewers upgrading at first base jesus aguilar for example if we can bring him back from miami Uh, Tampa Bay, I mean, he'll be a great addition to this team. Um, And then there's some other options out there, too. That's where I'd want to see the Brewers make the biggest uh, splash. Out of the All-Star break, you get Colton Wong back. You get Lorenzo Cain back, um, meaning less Jackie Bradley Jr. uh, Starting every day, he's going to be kind of that, you know, fourth outfielder, which was kind of planned to begin with when they signed him. He was going to be that fourth outfielder um, to sub in for Yelich, Garcia, and Kane, give them days off. Tyrone Taylor has come up with some huge moments uh, in the absence of Lorenzo Kane. Um, so he's been a surprise. But the big thing is, and Christian Yelich would be the first one to tell you, you know, David Stern said it best. If Yelich can move closer to that MVP level, uh, season or the year after his MVP level, where he probably should have won back-to-back MVPs. Um, Bellinger had a pretty solid year uh, that year as well, but I, I still think Yelich should have got the nod. Um, I think the if he, if Yelich doesn't fracture his kneecap and he finishes the seat, finishes September, I think he gets the nod over Bellinger. But you know, Bellinger had a bigger sample size that year than Yelich due to the fractured kneecap. If Yelich can get even halfway to that form, that'll be a huge boost to this Brewers offense. We saw a spark during the 11-game win streak of the Brewers where that offense was outstanding. Everyone was contributing any given night. Bradley had a hitting streak. Of, uh, Urias had a hitting streak. And they were just you know hitting the you-know-what out of the baseball. And now with Colton Wong coming back, you can pull Colton Wong back to leadoff spot. Yelich in that two-hole. Adamus in that three. And uh, Garcia, Nevaez, 4-5, you can always flip-flop them a little bit. And then you would have your Urias, your your, uh, your Lorenzo Cain, your Keston Hira. So if Hira can turn it on, Cain can get that back going, and Kristen Yelich can come out hot in the second half of the year, the Brewers' offense can definitely take off. Um I the Brewers the Brewers don't really have a ton to get things done in the trade market. Um you know I had uh Dan Lesinsky Zl- on a couple weeks ago and we talked about the the Brewers are very bottom heavy in the in the minors. Typically teams if they're going to trade a guy like Jesus Aguilar, they want big league ready talent back. So they got cheap options, controllable options, to put out there to take, you know, kind of take that spot. The Brewers don't have that at AAA on offense. They, they don't have guys available to trade that a lot of teams are going to want. Um, they just don't. So I think with the brew, I think the Brewers are mostly going to look to improve the pitching and hope that your big bats, Yelich, for example, and with the return of uh, Colton Wong, hopefully he can stay healthy moving forward. And the same with Locaine. I think they're going to uh, bank on those three being huge additions moving forward to this team. That That's my Brewer thought. And then finally, um, pulling my phone out quick because I, I have some of the the um, rule changes that Rob Manfred has suggested. And I don't like the banning or limiting of defensive shifts. Players need to be professionals and learn how to beat the shift. If te- if players could learn how to beat the shift, guess what? Teams aren't going to shift. You shouldn't reward lazy offense, lazy batters, by eliminating the shift altogether. Maybe you can... You know, make some tweaks to it like you can't have. You can only have so many guys on either side of the infield. I don't know. But you shouldn't reward hitters who have not learned how to bat, beat the shift by banning it. That, that That's just my thought. I like the elimination of seven-inning doubleheaders. Um, if that is a rule that gets eliminated after the season, great. I don't like the seven-inning doubleheaders. I like them from a perspective when I'm working. Um, It kind of speeds up the shift a little bit, Um, but I'm not a big fan of it. And then the big one, and yes, it's benefited the Brewers this year. Yes, it's hurt the Brewers this year, but I've stayed consistent on this. I don't like the the starting extra innings with the man on second base. I get it if you want to do that, if you get into the, the 12th or the 13th or the 14th inning. I get if you want to do that, but the 10th, 11th and 12th should just play like you would any other inning. And then if you get 13, 14, yeah, then you can add a runner on base. But I don't like that rule. I think it's stupid. I I you know, you wanted to finish games quicker in the era of COVID, um by putting a runner on second, you're not going to have as long of games. Hence, the seven 8 double as well. You're not going to have as long a game, and you're not, you know, you're also going to not have much wear and tear on, you know, guys' bodies as well. But overall, I didn't like the rule, and I hope they get rid of it. It's a dumb rule put out by a dumb commissioner, and it needs to go. And then there's a possible expansion of the DH to the National League, which we saw in twenty twenty, you know. Pitchers weren't batting, and and this is what I'm torn on. I am a baseball purist when it comes to I like this. I'm an NL guy, you know. When the Brewers moved to the NL, I was happy. I like the NL rules. I like the strategy, the double the you know, the double switches, and you know the strategy that comes along with playing the game of baseball. But when I also look at how the Brewers are built, they would strongly benefit from a DH. You know, you could uh, put Keston here at DH if he gets that bat going. You can give Yellich some days off in the field by putting him at DH. Same with Omar and Devias. days that you want to get Omar from behind the plate, but you want to keep that bat in the lineup. You could put Pena at catcher and put Omar at DH. The Brewers lineup right now, to me, would benefit from a, a, a universal DH. But at the same time, I like the way baseball is played. So that's one that it's, I'm torn on. I'm very indifferent on. But it's one that I wouldn't complain if we did get rid of the, you know, pitcher's bat. So with that, I am going to wrap it up. I typically don't like going more than 30 minutes when I'm solo because I'm sure you get tired of hearing my voice. I get tired of hearing my voice sometimes. Um, But just uh a bunch to go over in a short amount of time. As you know, I do a weekly show. I might expand to a couple days a week. uh, Once football starts to get in everything going on and college football and the NFL and all that from week to week with the Packers recap shows, preview shows, things like that. But right now I'm, I'm one, one show a week. Um, But if you like the show, subscribe on anywhere you find your podcast, Um, subscribe, rate it, Encourage uh you know your family and friends to give a listen. I would greatly appreciate it. I, I do have a passion of talking about sports. I get most people, I would say probably ninety-nine percent of people don't care for my opinion. I get that. Um, but I just love talking sports and this is a platform for me to give my opinion because I have a bad habit. I'll admit that I unfortunately you know, we'll give my opinion when it's not asked for. Somebody just wants to give me their opinion. They don't want to hear my opinion. They they want to give their opinion. But I give my opinion anyway. So I struggle sometimes with sharing my opinion before it gets asked asked about. Um, like I said, something I'm working on. Um, and this gives me that platform to give my opinion. And if you don't like it, don't want to hear it, you have options. Um, but with that said, find me on Facebook. Find me on Twitter. At Evan with Sports, talking sports with Evan. And, you know, let's connect. And if you have any interest to potentially coming on as a guest to give your thoughts and analysts, feel free to hit me up too. Talking sports with Evan at gmail.com. Hope you all have a great rest of your night and I'll get back at you next week, hopefully, talking about a Milwaukee Bucks NBA championship. Have a good one, everybody.